Every week, the Orange Fizz team breaks down the five most pressing questions about Syracuse athletics. Holy cow, what a big-time defensive play! No holds barred. I pity the fool. It's the Fizz Five. Five! Another edition of Fizz 5, and luckily for everyone listening, we got crossover season for you. Football, basketball to talk about, recapping last week's games and tomorrow's games. And Syracuse, well, they're getting down to the home stretch of football and just starting up on a basketball season that might give a couple people heart attacks. Cameron is there alongside Carter Bainbridge discussing everything you need to know over the past week or so in terms of Syracuse sports. It's Fizz 5 breaking down the top five topics amongst all of those sports. Carter, how's it going? Going well, Cam. It's crossover season, but I wouldn't say that either team's really having a great go of it right now. Football's on a slide, and basketball's had a very interesting week, to say the least. So we'll have a lot to talk about today. It's a lot of discussion uh, fresh off those games, and that's one thing that you got to love about Syracuse sports. It, it always opens up room for discussion, even if it's good or bad. So without further ado, let's head into topic number one. Number one. Topic number one on the docket surrounds Syracuse basketball, and we hope that uh, we hope that everyone is recovering and taking a deep breath from that Colgate game because after flooring Lehigh ninety to seventy two, Syracuse a dud of a performance against Colgate for the second straight season. And get this, if you already don't know this statistic, Carter, Syracuse hadn't lost a Colgate in back-to-back games since 1962. And now we're living in the 1960s because it's happened in back-to-back years and happened to a team that Jim Beheim said is the deepest and one of the best recruiting classes he's had at SU. And even with that, Syracuse falls to Colgate 80 to 68 Colgate hits 19 threes, one-upping themselves from last year, where the Raiders hit 18. Carter, what happened? Well, um, <laughs> let me start it's, by it's, saying, it's, right? it's, there's, there's, there's a lot to get to here. Let me start by saying this. Um, 80 to 68 lost to Colgate. It was a shocker. I was in attendance for this game. I was covering it for the Fizz. So did the game, did the article, posted the Twitter space. And I've still had some time to think about what happened here. And two things about this game can both be true. Okay. Number one is that it's still so early in the season that it is hard to jump to any concrete conclusions about this team or about its very young players. It's difficult to make any big proclamations about any of them. So I'm going to try not to do that. But the second thing about this game is that SU played a trash-tier game of basketball that deserves to be criticized harshly. They looked dreadful against Colgate. Last year's game, the 185-1, was more of a surprise because Syracuse had never lost, it felt like, to Colgate. It felt impossible that they would lose to them no matter what they did. And I famously remember that game because I covered that one for the the Fizz as well. So, you know, we've had the first two two Colgate losses since what? The Bay of Pigs. And I've been on both of them. Um, But last year's one felt a little bit more like a fluke, even though we probably discredited Colgate a little bit. The eventual Patriot League champions last year with some good players. 
know, Nelly Cummings was on that team last year. He's now on Pitt. SU is going to see him again. This year was not a fluke. Colgate just beat him. They did everything better than Syracuse did in that game. You know, last year we can make the excuse, oh, they just got hot from deep and Syracuse didn't play a great zone and that's how you beat the zone anyway. Well, Syracuse tried a lot of different stuff against Colgate on Tuesday and didn't do any of it very well and not a lot of it worked. To me, I came away thinking that was maybe the worst all-around game of basketball played by Syracuse relative to its competition maybe in Jim Beheim's career because if you look at the the scenario and what went into this game and the stakes to lose by 12 points at home against a mid-major program when you go out in front of your home crowd and can't shoot can't play defense can't rebound or pass, by the way. They did not have very many assists in this game. A lot of guys playing iso ball out on that court on Tuesday. Is that what Syracuse is? Is that what this team is and is supposed to be? Has SU ever embarrassed itself like that under Jim Bayheim? I know they lost an exhibition game to LeMoyne way back in the day, but who cares about that? And they've had some bad tournament losses and they had that game a couple of years ago where they scored 34 points to Virginia and they lost to Pitt last year. But these are conference games. This is a mid-major. I know it's the Patriot League champion, but for goodness sakes, man, it's Colgate. It's the toothpaste school. That's the old joke, right? I mean, who even knows where they are? Who, who are Colgate? A lot of people don't even know that. So hyperbole aside, right? I know Colgate's supposed to run away with the Patriot League, but you have Jesse Edwards standing taller than everyone on that team. Syracuse is the team with the top 100 recruits, Judah Mintz and all the rest of the guys in that freshman class. The Orange are the team that isn't supposed to do this under its Hall of Fame coach, who I might add still doesn't really know. Like he looks like he has, looks like he knows what he has with this team. He's playing man-to-man. He's playing 2-3. He's playing 1-3-1 with Manir Hima for some reason. Um that makes his tournament team thing before the season sound nonsensical because either he was being facetious or he has a lot more work to do with this team than he thought. And either way, it's a brutal look for a guy who's not only in the hall of fame, but came up tragically short of NCAA sanctioned win number 1000 on Tuesday. It's a topic he doesn't want to talk about, but he blew his shot to get it right there. So he has to wait at least one more game for that. Yeah, this is really embarrassing. Um, I was also in the Dome, uh, which I, I, I think makes our um, a breakdown of this game a little more real because we saw it firsthand. I don't know what the heck that was. I mean, you talk about the 1-3-1, the 2-3, the man-to-man. I'm going to focus on three things. First off, Colgate shot the lights out of the Dome, 19 of 38 from distance, and that's an ode to Syracuse's poor defense. I understand Tucker Richardson. He's a baller. He wasn't just the preseason player of the year in the Patriot League. He was the preseason defensive player of the year. So you're pretty much saying that's the MVP of a conference, one of the best shooters in the country when he gets going. But when you allow a guy to get going because you sag off of him, then it's so easy to get going. This dude, you know, six, 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 seven. Like, come on, ridiculous. So to start with that three-point shooting, Yes, Colgate shot the lights out. Oliver Lynch Daniels came off the bench after not playing in the first three games for undisclosed reasons, and it looked like Jim Beheim didn't even prep the team for him, right? This is a guy that that stands tall at, I think, like 6'2", 6'3". He was playing like he was 6'10". 
So the first thing I'll focus on is Syracuse's defense was awful. I asked Jim Beheim after the game, uh, or someone did, about zone and man-to-man. And he said, well, it was apparent earlier on in the game that the man-to-man defense would not work. But the zone did? Once you eclipse that 12, 13, 14, three-point made uh, a threshold, then the zone's not working. The point of a zone and to beat a zone is to shoot the three ball because you're going to penetrate, you're going to pass, you're going to pass like crazy to break down any movement. So it opens up three-point shots. That's why you play zone against teams that are plagued by the three-point shot. 19 of 38, you know 19 threes is a dome record, Carter? A dome record set by the Colgate Raiders in game two of the 2022 season. Absolutely and utterly embarrassing not to mention i know you said about the height discrepancy i'll give credit to colgate they have a 611 and a 610 dude right and they're bigger bodies than jesse edwards they just body them i mean edwards looked like a fish out of water on a strength basis not you know heights can only get you so far he's also got to use his body a little bit more yeah no i 100 agree and i thought that he did that when he played for the dutch national team and it translated against the lehigh mountain hawks but once you hit a Raider, that's, you know, maybe that's the issue. Uh, Jay, Jesse Edwards didn't look that good. The rebounding was awful, especially on the offensive end. You give Colgate any second chance opportunities, and they're going to make you pay with 19 threes. So the defense was, eh. I did not like the defensive scheming from Jim Beheim. He said, oh, well, the man-to-man didn't work. Your zone didn't work either. Go back to man-to-man. If a team is making 19 three, it was some, some stat like 75% of Colgate shots were threes, which means that they're playing right into the zone's hands. Great, but they're making the threes. Go back to -to man-to-man. It makes no sense at all what Jim Bayon was saying about the defense. You're right, the rebounding wasn't that good. That was my second point. Uh, You got to leap up and get rebounds. I'm sorry, Benny Williams looked unbelievable in the exhibition games rebounding the basketball. Okay, do it in regular season games. The third thing I'll say is, how much of this offense will be run through Joe Girard coming off a curl and shooting a three, right? This isn't Buddy Beheim, right? Joe Girard can't get into the paint and into the lane and down the alleys like Buddy Beheim could to bail you out of a lost possession. It just seemed like Syracuse was relying way too heavily on Judah Mintz. Let's go one-on-one. Let's see what we could do. And I asked Jim Beheim after the game, nine assists on 24 made buckets. Are you going to fix that moving forward? And he said, well, our offense isn't based off the pass. Jesse Edwards isn't a passing big. He's a scoring big. And every, yeah. And he said, everyone around the perimeter, that they're going to focus on driving the ball more. It'll be a less about kickout opportunities and more about downhill drives to the rim. Are you kidding me? And then he says, Chris Bell, who started the game, not really, oh, but man. Eight to 10 minutes, he pulled him because he was too stagnant. Well, Chris Bell's a shooter. Put him at the three-point line. Judah Mintz drives, pops it out. There's an assist in a bucket. Like, if you're you're pulling guys for being too, quote-unquote, stagnant, but you're struggling in the assist department, let him be stagnant. I mean, obviously, he has to move a little bit, but just let him move on the perimeter. Right? Give him open three-point shots. I, hey, I could talk days and days about how rebounding was bad, how the defense was bad, and how the offense made no sense at all. But to do that would take 12, 13, 14, 15 years. And we got to move on to topic number two before I, my head blows off. Because 
That was an absolute embarrassing performance. They were never in the ball game. And offensively, which has been the philosophy for Jim Beheim, that was one of the worst offensive performances I've seen out of an SU team. So before I start yelling at you, Carter, and you did nothing wrong, let's head to topic number two. Number two. Topic number two, and and Carter, um, you taking a deep breath like I did uh, during that little break we had because, I mean, 80-68 loss to Colgate brings up a lot of question marks. And I think the biggest one I have is outlook of SU season. You still got the non-conference slate, and you got Illinois down the road, Georgetown. I mean, you're facing teams that might have upsets on their mind, and then you go into the ACC. I mean, what's your outlook for this season? I know you said you didn't want to – treat the Colgate loss like the end-all be-all but how are you looking at the rest of the season that you're right in in saying that I don't want to do that and but this question necessitates that we take a larger scope view of what they're doing this year the orange I think I refuse to overreact uh, to the Colgate loss, which may be a funny thing to say because I did get a little animated in the first answer, just having some fun at, at Jim Beheim's expense because his team put up such a uh, terrific fight on Tuesday. But I think it, it, it's hard to say where this team's going to finish because there's so many variables. But to me, this at best is your typical Syracuse uh, bubble team. I think that at its best is going to finish on the bubble at the end of the season and probably need to get lucky to get into the NCAA tournament, like like Beheim said before the year, which he expected his team to do. Conditionally, a whole lot of things need to be way better for this team than they were against Colgate. Defense, shooting, patience, everything, and, and hu- hustle. I mean, we talked a little bit about that in the first answer. I can't, I, I can't bash... Beheim for taking Chris Bell out of the game when he's literally just jogging down in transition to go stand in the corner Carter, waiting for a pass that doesn't come. I know he's a shooter. No, I know. Play a little I, defense. D up a little bit. I have a little question for you. And I was yeah. talking to someone earlier uh, in the week about this. Do you think that Chris Bell is getting the Benny Williams treatment right now from last year? I, I uh, it, it depends it, on what you mean. I, I think. It, Benny Williams treatment as a, as in he's not playing well, so he's getting the bench. Yeah, no. Well, Benny okay. Williams treatment as in he's being held back. No, I don't believe no, that. No, no, no. I don't, and I don't think Benny Williams was held back last year, even though he had a good Duke game when he played the most minutes of the season, thirty minutes. What I'm saying is, I look at what Chris Bell is doing, and he just doesn't look like he's acclimating to the college game through the first two two games so far, and that could change moving forward, but. I mean, Bell starting and he's getting pulled after two minutes. This would when Benny Williams entered a game last year, he'd play two minutes. Jim Bayham would get upset, pull him and not play him again. I just I don't think that Jim Bayham is giving Chris Bell the opportunity to play hard when you're playing him two minutes. So that that's what I'm saying. I just I feel like he is getting the identical treatment to what Benny Williams was last year. That's yeah, a tough call. Um, you know, B- Bell his line still sticks out of my mind from the Colgate game played eight minutes total, you know, little bits and pieces at a time. I only threw up one shot and it was not good. So that's your, that's your, uh, your circular thing, right? You have a young player who's not playing well. Do you try and let him play to try and sort things out? Or do you try to just hammer it in practice and hope that he figures it out in one of the games? I'm not sure for Benny Williams. I think it may have been, he needed to play to get some confidence 
to me, that's what both of them look like. Well, it's what Benny looked like he was short on last year, and it's what Bell looks like he's a little bit short on right now, and that's confidence, which as a shooter, if that's what he is, and he is one, is not a good thing. He needs to be a little bit more confident all around and, and just be a little bit more involved. It looks to me like he's kind of tentative to, to get involved with things because he isn't quite sure maybe of his responsibility or what he's supposed to do in this exact play or scenario. You know, that I think that'll come with time. It, you know, game number two, it's hard to say. He didn't play well against Colgate, but he wasn't given the chance. Um, you know, Bayham explained it after the game. I think it's cut and dry, and if uh, – if those two have some kind of problem, then we'll never know. But I, I, I expect Bell to play again, start again against Northeastern, even though he did get a little bit of a stray in the postgame by Bayheim. But anyway, um, the outlook for the season, there's a lot of things this team has to get cracking on down in the Mellow Center because none of none of the good fundamental stuff was there against Colgate. I mean, all around, Bayham after the game wanted to talk about how bad his offense was. And yeah, you're right, it was bad. But his defense, we talked about this between us, his zone at times looked like man-to-man because it had such bad structure. And his man-to-man sometimes looked like a zone because guys were playing so far off the uh, the, the players with the basketball or just like all around, just kind of floating around and not getting to the ball, leaving guys open. Yeah, all around a mess. And Syracuse, if they want to go anywhere this season – you have to fix those main things in practice, shooting, defense, rebounding, effort. Because if you play like you did against Colgate, against any team in the ACC, I think in minimum, you'll lose by four times the margin you did on Tuesday if you play as poorly as you did against Colgate, against Illinois, against Virginia, against UNC, or someone good in the ACC. Miami is still kind of looming out there, and goodness knows SU had trouble with the Hurricanes last year as well. So conditionally, this team can still finish the same way the last couple teams has for Syracuse. I don't think it's any better than the teams we've seen the last three years. They're not there right now, but I think they could reach that point by just developing and playing a little better as the season goes on. Luckily for the Cuse, the schedule actually works out for them, right? You're not playing in the battle for Atlantis. You're not playing uh, Auburn, who was an eventual number one team in the country. You're going up against Richmond. I understand tournament team like Colgate was, but that's lesser competition that you can take advantage of. St. John's or Temple, that that is in the favor of Syracuse. Illinois, it's not, right? You had last year the benefit of playing Indiana at home. So that's going to be a tough one. But then again, then you're playing Notre Dame on the road, which could be a toss-up. You got, what, Monmouth, Oakland. You got Pittsburgh at home, Boston College. So uh, the, the the schedule evens out for Syracuse to have uh, a stretch of time where they could at least gain a little bit of momentum going into ACC play. So I, I'm, a, I'm on the, the same side as you saying, don't put too much stock in this Colgate loss, but focus on the intricacies. Stop three-point shooting, right? And, and that starts with defense. Jim Bayham said the offense was horrendous. Yeah, the offense wasn't great. I don't think it was as bad as the defense. And and one thing that troubled me about what Jim Bayheim said is he focused more on the offense, right? Like Judiments had 20 points. Benny Williams had 17. Yes, I agree too much one-on-one play. Get everyone meshed together, you know, pass the ball a couple times and create shots for others. I think that can help on the offensive side. 
But I thought it was more about, you're right, defensive structure just wasn't there. You're right, Jesse Edwards, Munir Hima playing five feet off of Jeff, Jeff Woodward gave him 30 <laughs> seconds, uh, literally the entire shot clock to the 25 to to just pass it out and find a teammate while everyone is not even having a head on a, a swivel guarding other players on the perimeter. So I think it starts with the defense and it's less about the offense on the offensive side, work on creating shots for others. That's why Samir Torrance is there. I understand he took 2,500 shots per day over the summer to increase his ability to shoot, but there's a reason you have Justin Taylor, Chris Bell, also Jim Beheim, play them. Justin Taylor, he was a, it was a no-show. Chris Bell, also a no-show. This is early on in the season. How confident am I that Jim Beheim will will fit the bill of this is the deepest team that we or not the deepest team we've had at SU, but the best recruiting class, which ultimately and subsequently means you have a lot of players you can play, but he's just not going to play the new players. Why recruit them if you don't play them? So I, I think that the ode is on Jim Beheim, the onus is on Jim Beheim to play those players, allow them to get acclimated to the game prior to ACC play. Get him on the, beyond the three-point arc. Take threes when you can, uh, because that's where SU made its money over the past couple of years. Yes, you had Buddy Beheim, but now you still have a lot of talented shooters. And then on the defensive end, play man-to-man. If it's not good early, it doesn't mean drop back in a zone for the final 30 minutes. So the outlook on the season for me is the schedule is actually a benefit for SU moving forward. In the ACC preseason poll, I think I've talked about this before, bottom five teams, SU's playing all five of those on the road, right? I know that they play, uh, you know, the best of the best at home as well, but you're not playing Duke and North Carolina on the road. You can take advantage of weaker competition on the road. So my outlook is the same as yours. This is a, a, a bubble team. I mean, let's be honest. It's a bubble team, and we'll see if the schedule actually paves the way for Syracuse to have more success than it would against a tougher schedule like the end of last season. Okay, enough basketball talk. Got a football game tomorrow, too. An SU team that's lost four straight. And we'll head into talking about Wake Forest. And we'll also recap a dud of a performance against Florida State last week. Let's head into topic number three. Number three. Topic number three. And speaking of three, that's how many points Syracuse had against Florida State. In a 38-3 to drubbing on senior day. You're talking about sending your seniors home happy. Well, they went home. I don't know about happy. 38 to 3, Florida State takes it. And more importantly, Syracuse drops to 6 and 4. Still bull eligible, but they have a chance. It was what, the third or the fourth ever team to start 6 and 0 and then lose its next six games? Carter, I mean, it's funny. I asked this for our topic number one. What happened to Syracuse basketball? What in the heck happened to Syracuse football? Well, what happened to Syracuse football is not specific to the Florida State game what happened to SU against FSU was that it came up against a team that at this point in the year it just didn't match up well with at all and the main reason for that is injuries and you know I I think that people are being just a little bit too hard on Dino Babers for this team's problems because there is very little that he can do about what's going on with his team right now. And there's very few coaches in the ACC that can, if you put Dabo Sweeney, who is the best coach in the ACC, he has far better talent than Syracuse, but still, if you put him in charge of the Syracuse team right now, he wouldn't be winning these games either because 
the players SU is being forced to play, the inexperienced pieces on its defense, and offensive skill players who are either ineffective or probably injured but not publicly saying so, it is an all-around brutal combination for this team that unfortunately just caught its more difficult opponents down the stretch of the season. Those two things are combining for some very ugly football right now. And to me, because of that fact, this is one of the sadder seasons in, in recent SU football history, which is saying something for a program that's gone through so much garbage and incompetence over the past 20 years or so. I feel bad, quite honestly, for Babers because he's just sort of frozen at the wheel right now watching this thing collapse mainly due to injuries, and I, I really don't put that at his feet. We could see this coming around week four or five when guys started to get injured. Even before week one, we knew this team had very little depth, especially on the defensive side with the defensive line departing after last year to the top-heavy linebackers who immediately lost to Fawn Thompson. And I think at that point we kind of knew, well, that's not great, but you know, the team lasted it out against some weaker competition but now you're seeing that even with backups playing admirably in spots they shouldn't be in, be in, you know, this team is probably done without guys like Thompson. Terry Lockett was a really big loss, and Garrett Williams was your killer. Without one of those guys, a team is in trouble. Without three of them, you're basically finished because you have your NFL-quality corner, one of the most underrated linebackers in the conference in Thompson, and your big body defensive tackle up front who now is has left such a hole that the team can't stop the run and that has single-handedly killed them over the last couple of weeks because they they can't stop the run to such an extent that it annihilates their entire game plan they can't control the clock they can't get into a rhythm on offense and they can't stop anything on defense running the ball opponents are doing that very well and then play action passing they have to sell out against the run and then they're susceptible against the pass without Garrett Williams it's a mess but even still this team has lost the games we thought they would Notre Dame Clemson Pittsburgh Florida State probably the Seminoles are a little bit of a surprise they're playing very well but SU showed us briefly that it was better than we thought that's the painful part. And injuries have stripped them of, of that, of what they were. We still love the 6-0 and Orange, who are forever crystallized in that, that lone little week after they beat NC State. They'll live on forever because of that week and what they gave this graduating class. We'll always remember them for that. But we'll never know what this team could have done had they just stayed healthy. And there's a separate conversation to be had about Michael Jones is whistleblowing before the season about the bad nutrition program, or I question what technique these coaches are teaching in practice, because when guys wear down and they start using bad technique, that's when you see guys get hurt. It's crossed the point of bad luck. I think there's something larger at play. I'm not a conspiracy theorist about the program. I feel mostly bad for the players and I feel bad for Babers because this season should have gone better, but at this point, it's it's kind of a rudderless ship heading down the last couple of weeks. I agree with you. I mean, the blame game, as much as I want to put it on the, the players and the coaching staff for the effort that was shown against Florida State, 
You have Stephon Thompson, Terry Lockett, Garrett Williams, you name it, uh, a, a healthy Jihad Carter. I mean, there's backups on the field. I would, I'd be hard pressed to head out to a Syracuse, uh, you know, tailgate and ask the fans and they could tell me who five, six, seven players on the defensive side are. I mean, you got Elijah Fuentes Cundiff, he's a freshman. Kevin Jobity, I don't know if he's a freshman, but he plays like a freshman. Kayvon Darton, who's now, he's not a walk-on anymore because he was given a scholarship, but he was a walk-on. Those are your three at the defensive line. Caleb Okachuku can only do so much, right? You have backups in there like a, like a Jason Simmons, who's who's holding his own. Jeremiah Wilson got bodied a couple times on one-on-one coverage because he's a true freshman. You're throwing out guys that are so inexperienced, and I 100% agree with you. Where I disagree is on the offensive note. For the first six games of the season, this Syracuse team looked unstoppable, right? Sean Tucker wasn't playing his best ball, but Garrett Schrader was. And I understand Garrett Schrader might be a little limpy and might not be ready to go, but that's more on Garrett Schrader to tell the coaching staff, hey, I either need to get better or I can't go. You don't want to put your offense in jeopardy. And I think that Schrader, by not, you know, uh, at least giving some clarity to his coaching staff or his coaching staff being so stubborn to not want to put a backup in there, because, of course, watching what Carlos Del Rio Wilson did at Pittsburgh, uh, I, I think it's more about the offense. And they're just not meshing as they did in the first six games. And it's not about communication uh, in terms of the game plan. And it's more about, hey, Garrett, how healthy are you? Can you go against a really talented Florida State defense? Are you our best option? I don't think he was. He didn't look that good. Three and out after three and out after three and out. You can blame the defense, but they blink and they're back on the field. And with those injuries, not much you can do. I mean, yes, 930 rush yards over the last four games. I, I mean, that's not going to work out. Uh, you're, the defense, that, that just shows the ineptitude of the defense. But you only give up 19 points to Pitt. Looked pretty good in the second half against Notre Dame until the wheels fell off, but that's mainly due to a pick six and a blocked punt setting up field position. The second half against Clemson might have been the the gut punch that Syracuse did not need to really end the season at that point, uh, you know, disregarding bull eligibility and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, no, I agree with you. Injuries were the reason that Syracuse lost that game to Florida State on the defensive end. I'm really disappointed with offense. Sean Tucker doesn't have the burst that he did last season. Again, Garrett Schrader is clearly hurt. Who is your backup? Maybe it goes back to recruiting. I wish Justin Lampson was healthy because then you can kind of get a glimpse of what SU's future will look like if Lampson is that quarterback that you can build up into a starter. But you're relying on a guy that transferred into the program that's a little hurt in Garrett Schrader. So Kalen Ellis hurt as well. I mean, you have a left tackle in Matthew Bergeron who's an NFL first-round pick. Your left guard being a little dinged up is not the worst thing in the world. Garrett Schrader and Sean Tucker, I think, are both dealing with something because Sean Tucker just doesn't look the same. He no. just isn't. And I don't want to let him off scot-free. Robert Anai has not had a last good couple weeks. I'll no. tell you that. The, His the play calling, the and I know. room has been awful. I mean, they, I know. They they I'm, I'm, it's, where Courtney Jackson may as well just start calling this guy Cardio Jackson because that's all he's out there doing. He hasn't <laughs> caught a pass in like a month. Damian Alford catches one pass a game. Devon Cooper lets about as many passes go off his hands as he actually hauls in. There are some problems in the receiving room, but his play calling has been bizarre. It's like 
the first couple games this season against UConn and Wagner, this offense was a lot more motion heavy, a lot more creative, brought a lot more to the table. And all of a sudden against better competition, that's just gone away. You're just running trap plays up the middle with Tucker, who is running like he wants to avoid contact and just bounces everything to the outside so he can hit the sideline before a linebacker comes in to crack helmets with him. And these guys don't look like themselves. I, you know, I know there's so, many, so much an eye can do with them, but that's where he makes his money. Scheme something up to put these guys in a better spot because what they've been doing the last four games hasn't been working. I mean, one for 11 from third down. Uh, the fact that Syracuse is even getting to 11 third downs is an issue because early on in the season, it seemed like, okay, you have a successful second down play. Syracuse is pigeonholing themselves against the best defenses in the country and hoping to get something out of a third and five, third and seven screen pass that leads to nothing. So, hey, I agree with you. And I know that Wake Forest is on the docket for tomorrow. So uh, let's get into a little more preview on the Demon Deacons and then give our predictions to what I feel like will be an, an obvious choice from us too. So let's head to topic number four. Number four. Topic number four is a preview to Wake Forest. SU and Wake Forest really late kickoff, 8 o'clock. And, and we saw this against Florida State, and that didn't pan out well. And that was Syracuse's senior day. This is Wake Forest's senior day. But luckily for SU, it's not a hot Wake Forest team. It's a – or pardon me, a hot Florida State team. It's a really low Wake Forest team. They lost three in a row. North Carolina, NC State, Louisville haven't looked good offensively, even though that offense is still the mainstay of the program. So Syracuse, Wake Forest, Carter, give me your thoughts. It's a tough matchup for Syracuse. Not very similar to the ones that the Orange have had the last couple weeks against teams that run the ball well. Clemson with Will Shipley, Notre Dame with Audric Estime. Pitt with Izzy Abanacanda, who didn't even play, but the team still <laughs> ran the ball very well. And then Florida State with Jordan Travis, who can run, Trey Benson, the Oregon transfer. All these teams have great backs. But what you have in Wake, to, I don't know, simplify this for the Syracuse fan who might not really be an ACC fan, is to me you have a team that both in uniform and in play style kind of just looks to me like Purdue. Because Sam Hartman is a premier quarterback in college football, 2,700 yards, 28 touchdowns. He has thrown 10 interceptions, so he's kind of winging it around. But he's been around at Wake Forest forever. He still has A.T. Perry, very, very good wideout who caught the walk-off touchdown against Syracuse last year in overtime. That That's a difficult matchup for SU, and especially so – because of how SU just let Jordan Travis play in the Florida State game. I mean, he's a competent passer. He's an efficient passer. But they let him complete 21 of 23 for three touchdowns. No picks. Never had any difficulty. Over 91% of his passes. We did some dissection of just how good that game was in our By the Numbers article after the fact. But he looked outstanding. And he's not as talented a thrower of the football as Hartman is. Plus, A.T. Perry has both height and ability on Deuce Chestnut and Jeremiah Wilson, whoever they put out a corner against him, probably going to be Deuce. But at the same time, that's a tough matchup height-wise for SU's corners, both of them. So this Wake team doesn't run the ball extremely well. They, they can run, but it's not really their style. 
these Deeks average over 36 points per game even then. So for an SU defense that's banged up, and we talked about how the defensive line is full of backups, and the linebacking core is dinged up, and Garrett Williams is just hurt, and the DBs are struggling, this is a brutal team to go up with against when you have a defense that's shorthanded. So for Syracuse, I think it, it's probably going to have to score at least 24 to win this game, probably over 30. And I'm just not sure it has the horses to do that with Garrett Schrader with two taped ankles and Sean Tucker with whatever's wrong with him and Robert and I only using the first page of his playbook. So the challenge is great this weekend for Syracuse. I, I think you're staring at six and five without much of a doubt. I 100% agree with you. I want to disagree, but even though Wake Forest doesn't run the ball well, bottom five in the ACC uh, in rush yards per game, Justice Ellison, he's a top 10 uh, running back in terms of yards in the ACC, but it's a large drop off between one, two, three, four, and the rest of them. Uh, I, I don't think Wake Forest needs to run the ball well to down Syracuse. I mean, what Jordan Travis proved is what Drew Pine and... Um, uh, and Keaton Slovis couldn't because they're just not good quarterbacks. He proved that you can be a good quarterback and dominate Syracuse in two facets, whether it be off the play action, whether it be the RPO, if you're running the ball or handing it off, you have a really good quarterback, stout quarterback against a Syracuse belittle defense where Marlo Wax and Michael Jones are the only two that can apply pressure to the quarterback. I mean, Jordan, I was on the sidelines for that Florida State game, and Jordan Travis had a good five to seven seconds in the pocket to do whatever the heck he wanted, and he only took about two to three, and that's what makes him a good quarterback. Sam Hartman's coming off a four-touchdown game. It was a loss to North Carolina, but that's a top 15 North Carolina team. So Sam Hartman and will – Drake and May on the other side, yeah. Right, and it's, it's – yeah, Drake May is uh, – is not Garrett Schrader, and that the, usually that's the opposite. Garrett Schrader's no Drake May. May is going to be an NFL prospect, and Garrett Schrader, I don't know where he's going. Um, so maybe another college. So, yeah, Sam Hartman will dominate Syracuse. Uh, he has a wealth of riches uh, for a team that's top two in the ACC in pass yards per game. So as much as I want to say Syracuse puts up a fight against a Wake Forest team that's lost three in a row, let's just say the last three losses for Wake Forest – haven't looked as bad as the last four losses for Syracuse. And on the defensive end, SU needs to dominate a Wake Forest defense that's bottom five in the ACC in, in, in total defense. I mean, that that's the, the crux of this game. If SU can find its offensive stride, then it's a close game. But, I mean, there's been more three and outs than there have been just first downs in general. Uh, uh, for Syracuse over the last couple of games. So I think the offense sputters. Sam Hartman does his thing on senior day, and the senior day for Wake Forest goes a lot better than the senior day did for SU. We're going to close things out here on Fizz 5 with some more football in a topic of conversation that Carter and I had earlier on in the season, but now it's kind of taken a little bit of a tumble uh, with SU losers of four straight. So let's head into topic number five. Number five. Topic number five, Carter, pretty simple. Uh, earlier on in the season, we chatted about what would be a successful season for Syracuse. And I, I just remember my answer being you make a bowl game. Well, Syracuse is going to a bowl game, but they've looked awful over the last month. I mean, Carter, if Syracuse finishes six and six, does that is that a successful season? I mean, right now, six and four. What would deem success at this point in time? 
Well, I remember my answer to the original question that we had, and it, it's still the same for me, but it takes on a slightly different tone. It was then, and it is now, that the only way this season can be considered a success in year seven for Dino Babers is a bowl win. The team started 6-0, and got a victory over NC State before it figured out its quarterback situation, um, took down a Louisville team that had bullied it for years, beat a Purdue team that is a perennial pest um you know beat a virginia team that now looks like a very you know very strange game in hindsight for all the wrong reasons and then of course wagner uh just took him to the cleaners in week five but since then things have changed right syracuse is is six and four and as soon as it started melting down against clemson you knew that it was about to cost the team a good bowl Going into the Clemson game, SU was number 14. They had visions, if they beat Clemson, of a possible conference title, of maybe a visit to the Orange Bowl. A lot of lofty stuff that just evaporated in an instant. And with each loss, you've been knocked down a peg from bowl to bowl to bowl. You went from the Orange Bowl to something else to uh, Duke's Mayo Bowl, to uh, maybe like the Fenway Pinstripe Bowl. Those are basically your two now. I'll give you one stat. This team has made four bowls since Paul Pasqualoni left following the 2004 season. Two of them have been the Pinstripe Bowl. This team is sick to death of playing in baseball stadiums. They're probably going to have to do it one more time because they couldn't keep it together when it mattered. So you know you're going to make a bowl that doesn't really hit the seismometer, doesn't really register with a lot of people. Not a great bowl, but you have got to win it if you're Syracuse because if you finish the season 7-5, and five, yes, on paper, that's the second-best season under Dino Babers. Factually, it is. But you were 6-0 and oh, with a chance to do more, with a chance to be more. You could have upgraded this program. You could have made some waves for yourself, and now you're playing on a multi-purpose baseball stadium field against some unranked six and six outfit. And if you lose that, especially if you're coming off a loss to Boston college, we haven't even covered that possibility. I don't think that'll happen, but you can never put anything past this team. If you go from six and zero to six and seven, I think that's the only possibility that you start to have some questions about Dino Babers' job. Because if you make a bowl and lose it, I don't think that's enough anymore after a 6-0 start. That leaves the distinct taste in everyone's mouth that you had a team that was better than this, but for a variety of factors, slipped down the pole and couldn't keep it together on the way to six losses in its last seven games. If you beat BC, best case scenario, because I don't think they're beating Wake Forest. And whoever they draw in that bowl, better win it to, to wash away what happened in the second half of the season. Let's lock it in right now. Pinstripe Bowl, Syracuse, Maryland. A Terrapins team that's coming off a, a couple of losses, make it two straight. They have Ohio State and Rutgers still left. Maryland is six and four. They'll probably finish six and six or seven and five. Same with Syracuse. It's the same result. So give me Maryland against Syracuse in the Pinstripe Bowl. They win that game. It's a successful season. Now, I think it still warrants a conversation around Dino Babers and his spot on the hot seat. Uh, I did a um, 
a little breakdown and, and I was meaning to post this on Fizz and I might go uh, deeper into this as the season ends because I don't want to, you know, bring up, uh, you know, exacerbate the the idea of, oh, Dino Babers should be fired because it's been a conversation for two, three years. Uh, Dino Babers in his seven-year tenure at Syracuse in ACC games in terms of scoring margin is a minus 434. I mean, that's an ACC contest. Now, <laughs> I can make it worse for you, Carter. I know you're squinting your eyes out of di- in disbelief. Um, in the month of November, Dino Babers is a whopping minus 307. And, oh. and to make it even better, away from the dome, Dino Babers is a minus 301. Like, it doesn't get much better. And the best part about all that, didn't even take into account the Florida State game, in which they lost 38-3. to so that ACC scoring margin over the last seven years is over minus 450, which just proves just over and over that Dino Babers and this coaching staff in Syracuse in general, they can't play well against ACC teams. And obviously the scoring margin on the road, they can only play well in the dome, which won't bode well for that bowl game, which I think will be the pinstripe bowl against Maryland. And on top of that, can't play well in the month of November. Luckily, the bowl game will be in December, right? So uh, all that aside, I, I just wanted to throw that out because I was meaning to uh, to get an article up on theorangefizz.com. And I probably will with those numbers as the season comes to a close so I can finalize those numbers with Lake Forest in Boston College. So it'll be a true seven-year tenure. Uh, they win the bowl game, it's successful. They don't win the bowl game, it's not successful. The, the idea of a bowl game in college is that measure success. As much as you want to say, oh, you want to win the Orange Bowl, Syracuse, they're a team, a power five team that is fit for seven to eight to nine wins, right? You get above that threshold, then great. You've you've exceeded expectations in the regular season, but unfortunately you won't get any hardware because you're going to be playing a really good team. So you win the bowl game, it's successful. You don't win the bowl game. I mean, I don't know how how nicely I can say this. You wash away the year. What are you bringing home? Right. I don't care if they win the next two games and lose the bowl. You have to win the bowl game. I mean, you have to. That's that's the that's what measures success in college football. You don't bring home hardware. Seven years of Dino Baber, one trophy. Right. And that was a that was a pretty good trophy. I mean, camping world bowl isn't great for it's a 10 and three team, nine and three entering the bowl game back in 2018. I'll make this pretty simple. I said at the beginning of the season, I said it when this team was on the up and up at five and oh, six and oh, and I'll say it now, even after four straight losses, you win a bowl game, it's successful. And I'm happy that we're ending it on a high note. That's Carter Bainbridge. I'm Cameron Ezer. We'll see if Syracuse football and basketball can find its stride in the next couple of weeks. And for football, which bowl game they will be in. And we have you covered on theorangefizz.com with everything you need to know with the Syracuse sports stratosphere and on Fizz 5 each and every week with our revolving cast of Fizz staff hosts talking everything you need to know about Syracuse football, Syracuse basketball, the recruiting world. If you want to know it, we have it. This has been Fizz 5 on Orange Fizz with Carter Bainbridge. I'm Cameron Ezer. Make sure you check out our articles on theorangefizz.com, and we will catch you later. And that's your Fizz 5. Listen next week. Subscribe, rate, and review. This has been an Orange Fizz production.